It's springtime. We love being outside. It's a great time of year to get out and do different things. And while researching for this sermon, I had a Billy Graham quote I wanted to find. I did find it. It's later in the sermon. But I came across one that's too good to pass up for today, even though it has nothing to do with the sermon. Graham is quoted as saying on prayer, The only time my prayers are never answered is on the golf course. (laughs) So there you go. For your day. Our sermon will begin with talk of dreams. It will end with talk of God's love for us and the imperative that we have a love for one another. Anytime we talk about dreams, one of the things that comes up is Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. It's probably, I mean, it's definitely one of the most important speeches in American history, maybe the history of the world. And in his speech, he dreams about what the United States could become in contrast to what it was at the time. His dream, his articulation of that dream, cast hope and possibility for so many in our country. And and really, in just 50 short years, in many of your lifetime, we've seen amazing things happen uh, towards his dream. His speech ends with, and when this happens, when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet and from every state and every city, We will be able to speed up that day when God's children, all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Now, you and I know that in many ways we are seeing that happen, and in other ways we don't see that happen. But just yesterday, I coached, Cam's soccer team, as a part of Oxford Soccer Club. Oxford Soccer is a club that includes white children and black children, Latino children, and legal immigrants from many countries in Central and South America, as well as some immigrants from the Middle East who are of a different religion than us. Fifty years ago, people would never have dreamed or people were only dreaming about that group of children playing together on a field. And probably funnier still, 50 years ago, nobody dreamed it would be on a soccer field. But in so many ways, we're blessed to live in a time that's continuing to open up and provide opportunities for people. But there's something far more important than the opportunities that American citizenship or... uh, American policy can provide, to you and me, what's much more important than any of that is the loyalty and the obligation that we have to a dream that comes through faith in our relationship with God. For a time, for a long time, citizenship in God's kingdom was limited to a certain group of people. It was reserved for a select people. It was reserved for God's people in this part of our scripture. But today, what we see is Peter has a dream and access to the kingdom of God. Openness to the kingdom of God is provided to everyone. 
Peter's dream is one that the gift of God provides access, meaning life-giving love to any who would accept it. The gift of new life comes to anyone who would accept God's offer of new life. Anyone can start new. And many of us have received that gift. We've received that gift, and I pray that we learn to love the way that God calls us to love one another. And I pray that we will consider that and the stories that point us to that as we turn to the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 1 through 18, and read about Peter's dream. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem and circumcised the believers, uh, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord. Nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. And at that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and to not make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered a man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then, if then God gave them the same gift that He gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And then they praised God, saying, Then God has given, even to the Gentiles, the repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Peter had a powerful dream, an exciting dream, but to many in his time it was scary, and if you're human, it's not unusual to have scary dreams. One scary dream preachers have, occasionally, like I had actually just this week, is that I got up to preach, I somehow had not finished my sermon, And a significant group, about two rows from over on this side, just got up and walked out. They knew I hadn't finished. 
I don't remember what happened, but the next thing I knew, I was standing back at that door, greeting people on the way out, because everybody had just said, if he hadn't finished his sermon, we're leaving. He's not, we're not going to stay here for him to wing it. Well, I have finished my sermon this week. I don't know if you'll like it or not, but that's not up for debate yet. Those who interpret dreams may have had a field day about mine, but I assure you, if you've spoken in public, you've had the dream of getting up with no notes. And it is scary. It is scary. But we wake up from such dreams, realizing there is still time to finish preparing. And we do realize that though those dreams are rooted in our deepest fears, our deepest fears don't always win the day, do they? As we look, at, look back at Peter's dream, as he retells it in Acts chapter 11, it is a whole lot like, a whole lot more like Martin Luther King's dream than it is my, like my dream. Though for some, this dream of Peter's was fear-filled. For the establishment Christians, or the powerful Jewish converts of Peter's day, a dream to let the Gentiles in was a threat to everything they knew about how religion worked. Religion was for a certain people who could live a certain way and could follow a certain protocol. But the Christianity that develops immediately after Jesus' resurrection struggles with leaving behind some of that Judaism, those rigid laws, and those structures. And this is what we see. They're struggling to leave behind what they knew. Because for countless generations, God had only been for them, for his chosen people. But in Jesus, God articulates a vision. In Peter, we see a dream that what happens in grace, through forgiveness, through love, and through joy, all of these things come in freedom and forgiveness. They all come through Jesus. This faith, this love of God that was once reserved for a certain people is now open to everybody, not just those on the inside of the faith. Not just those who were born into the right religion. Not just those who had their habits, practices, and morals right first. On that sheet coming down from heaven, Peter sees all the possibilities in all the world as Jesus says, these are all my children, Peter. Love them and share my love with them. Now, Peter's dream is about food, because in that day, what it meant to be in or out had a whole lot to do with the food that someone consumed. Food was a marker of loyalty and faithfulness. But in this dream now, all foods are available to everyone. Lobster, shrimp, and pork are now allowed in the church, for which we say thanks be to God. Jesus decided... God decided that in Christ, it was no longer important what the chosen people ate or drank. God decided, we're not going to be concerned with the fiber content of each other's clothes. Jesus clearly was not interested in which career path someone chose, or, was, or what caste someone may have been born into. 
Because for Jesus, the future and the kingdom of God was concerned about one thing, and that is, is love. The love his disciples would share with one another. The mark of his kingdom and his presence was going to be, uh, was going to be love. And the way that we live into knowing and, and learning and growing and experiencing God with us is to love one another. Maybe especially in the love that we have for one another. But love is, love is hard. The first time Natalie and I went to New York City, we had never been. I had never been. We were celebrating five years of marriage, and I had graduated divinity school. And so we took a trip up north, and we wanted to see New York City, and so we enlisted the help of a friend who had lived in Queens for a few years. She was going to show us around New York. So Natalie and I parked our car in New Jersey at a friend of a friend's house. They brought us to the train station, and we, we got on the train, and it, it, it ended at Penn Station, a place where many of you may have gotten off a train before. And we're looking around for Anne in Penn Station in 2004, a time when cell phones were not as prominent as they are now, and cell phone service was, was way, way worse, especially underground. And all of a sudden, two kids whose greatest adventure in life was moving to Raleigh pop up at a Penn Station right below Madison Square Garden, and, and, and we were fish out of water. If we had stayed very long on that sidewalk, we'd have been out of money quickly because everybody wanted a little bit of ours. From the beggars to, to those who were selling things. Can I, can I get you? Can I get you? Can I get you this? Can you give me that? And in many ways, stories like that, stories where we're taking it, taken advantage of potentially, are the exact opposite of what Jesus commands for us to do, what Jesus directs us to do in John 13. As the reading that Marty read closes, I give you this commandment to love one another just as I have loved you, so you must also love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other. This is our commandment, it's to love. And as we see it, out, as we see it lived out in this Acts passage, what we see throws open the doors of who is able to receive this love. Acts is a redefinition of how we are to live with one another through love. We're not to live just by laws anymore. Peter and Jesus push us to embody a love that is often, often the opposite of what happens around us every single day. Those who attend to politics or cable news or the issues of the day are tempted to live in fear and protect themselves from the things outside. All of those talking heads and pundits and prognosticators prey on a fear, though they try to inform us. They prey on a fear that demands that we mark out our turf and keep everybody else out. And in doing so, the conditions um, that, that may happen is that others get marginalized, others get excluded when their external practices do not match up with what is reasonable and acceptable. But in Jesus, a new covenant is created. The Holy Spirit is at work in Peter and the life of the early church. 
And he wants to change how it is that people live with one another. Change how the church is to operate. In the New Covenant, we're to love one another by being welcoming and hospitable. In the New Covenant, we're to love one another by not seeing insiders and outsiders. We're to love one another, and when we see a fish out of water, we're not supposed to pounce on it and call it dinner. We're supposed to put it back in the water and help it know where to go. Because at one point or another, every single one of us has been tourists or strangers or lost or marginalized or weak. And someone protected us and helped us. Someone embodied God's love for us. So as Christian people, our mission is to love and to serve and to offer a hand and a shelter and to let outsiders know of the care that we have. And when we allow them in, even the Gentiles are allowed to come in, we proclaim the good news and we celebrate that God has even enabled the Gentiles to change their hearts, that they might receive new life the new life, the new covenant, the new hope that comes. It, 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 it doesn't come by drawing lines or building fences. It doesn't come through litmus tests or disqualifications. The new life that comes, comes when we let people in, when we embrace folks through love. It happens when we move past fear and in faith embody that well, well-used quote by our beloved Billy Graham who says, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and it's God's job to judge, but it is our job to love. Do you want to see God at work? Do you want to see new life? Do you want to allow others to enter into the relationship and covenant that you and I so deeply and, 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 and preciously cherish? The way that we do that is to love. The first time I went to New York City, I had no idea what I was getting into. Three years later, I brought a group of youth to New York City on a mission trip. The first time I went into Starbucks, I had no idea what I was getting into. But thanks to a barista, I learned that a tall was a small, and that a venti was way too much coffee for anybody in the afternoon. And anytime any of us go anywhere and do something new, we're often dependent upon the kindness of strangers to steer us in the right direction. We need help from others to show us the way to go, no matter what. And the same is true, maybe especially more true, in faith. In faith, God calls us to practice love, not judgment, not discernment, not provide theological checklists that could put us on a moral high ground. Rather, when it comes to opening up faith, opening up God's love to others, the way we do it is through getting to know them and loving them. The way we do it is to quote one of many musicians, Dave Matthews, just love will open up our eyes. Or to quote Billy Graham again, nothing can bring a real sense of security except true love. Or to quote Pope Francis from Twitter this week, the royal road to peace is to see others not as enemies to be opposed, but as brothers and sisters to be embraced. Or to quote the Beatles, all we need is love. Maybe not all we need, but we definitely can't hurt to have a little bit more of it. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is good news for everyone. Some haven't received it yet, but it is good news for them too. And it's about loving 
whole, holy relationships with God. And those start with love. We think back to the way our relationship with God started, and it started with love. True love is a risk. It means opening ourselves up. True love is an act of faith because it means we don't know how things are going to turn out before we start loving. Love, the love that comes from God, though, it reaches beyond our fears. It flies in the face of fear, especially when it sees that the road ahead might be a little bit difficult. But God's love never fails. And the way we know it is love is because God's love stands with us, even if there's a disagreement, a failure, or a falling short. We've all fallen short, but thanks to God, we are embraced and forgiven. And when I say we, I certainly mean we as a church, and I mean we as human beings. I'll close with a dream. I have a dream today that Oxford Baptist Church will continue to learn to love and continue to embrace ways that share God's love with those who need it. Because though I'm not sure who the Gentiles are among us or who the Gentiles might be that are outside of us today, I am sure that the good news of the gospel has come for all people and God has enabled the Gentiles whose paths we cross to change their hearts and to receive new life as well. So may God call us out of fear and into love. May God call us out of judgment and into forgiveness. And, and may God show us a sheet coming down that opens us up to all the others. Because God says, those are mine and they're beloved. So we should love them as well. We know God loves us. May God give us the strength to love others as we pray. Gracious God, we come today hearing words of your love, reading scriptures about your love. And seeing the, the high bar that is the new commandment, the new covenant that comes, that we might love one another. Lord, we sing songs that they know we, will, we, are, we are Christians by our love. We pray prayers, giving thanks for your love for us. And today we pray that you would help us to love one another well. Help us to love those who are easy to love, and help us to love those who... You call us to love who might not be our first choice. But Lord, in love, help us to be able to share your great love and grace and forgiveness and new life with all whose paths we cross, with all who we are willing to love, because we know you love them all as well. Loving God, speak to our hearts. Lower a sheet for us. Give us strength and courage to love even the Gentiles among us today. And it is in your name we pray these prayers. Amen.